Have you seen those bumper stickers or those front of car license plates that say things like, if all else fails, read the instructions? That's always bugged me because it's, it, there it's got a picture of the Bible with it. When all else fails, read the instructions. Seems to me that's backwards. Seems to me we ought to be reading the instruction book for life before we get run into trouble. So that license plate has always bothered me. There's the other one that, and when I was a small child, eight, nine, ten years old, I gave a friend of mine a license plate that said, God is my co-pilot to go on the front of his car. And there's people who don't like that one for some reason because they say, you need, if God is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. Well, practically in your car, you have to drive, right? God is riding along with you. I've actually believed and, and come to the understanding that honestly, if we're really going to call it for what it needs to be, perhaps that license plate should say something like, God is my navigator, because He is the one guiding us and directing us and telling us where to go on a daily basis, or He is supposed to be. This morning, as we begin uh, this, this sermon on the fear of the Lord, we are going to look at the Proverbs, chapter 1 in particular. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open to Proverbs chapter 1. That's where we're going to be starting this morning and, and spending a little bit of time as we work toward the new year. And the question has arisen, what is a proverb? Well, basically, in short, it is a short, well-known saying. These, these little uh, things that we just threw out there, God is my co-pilot, or, or, or and when all else fails, read the instructions. Those could be considered proverbs. They are well-known sayings. Now, well, their, their meaning is different than what you would find probably in the proverbs of Scripture, but it is a good, well-meaning, well-known saying. Now, keep in mind, when you read the proverbs… The Proverbs are not necessarily promises of God, but they are generalized. Usually, as there's a statement is true, but in general, but there can be exceptions to the rule. Many of you are very aware that Proverbs 22.6 states, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Many of you have prodigals in your life. You wonder, what has happened with my son or what has happened with my daughter? You wonder, what did I possibly do wrong that has led them down that path? And, and you say, but I thought the Scripture says, train up a child. We tried that, but that child has drifted away from God. They've walked their own way. First off, that's not on you. That is their decision. You have done all you can if you have trained them up. And it is a general rule. It isn't a necessarily promise of God. And because why do we stress that? Because if that was a promise of God specifically, then we would sit back and say, wait a minute, God doesn't keep his promises. My child wandered and never came back. That's, that would be a problem when it comes to understanding the promises of God. Well, I want to make sure as we begin this next, this next year, I know many people read the Proverbs as a daily devotion. They will read a daily proverb. It just so happens there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. We have 31 sometimes, or 30, sometimes this year in February 29, days in a month, and people will pick whatever day of the month it is, and they will read that proverb each day. And so by the end of the year, you have read at least chapters 1 through 29, you have read 12 times by the end of the year, right? 
I want to make sure we understand moving forward how to read the Proverbs. So first off, what is the goal of the Proverbs? That's your first fill-in if you picked one up on your way in. The goal of the Proverbs. You see, the goal of the book of Proverbs is to instill wisdom in the reader. If we start in verse 1 of chapter 1, here's what we read. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth. It tells us right off the bat in verse 2 that we are to know wisdom. The Proverbs were written. The goal of the Proverbs was to help us know wisdom. This is an intellectual knowledge. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. You see, knowledge and wisdom are very closely tied together in the book of Proverbs. We will often put them separate. We will say, you can have book knowledge, but you're not very wise. Have you known people like that? Have you known people who could get all A's on the test? They can repeat the knowledge back to you. But when it comes to practical, everyday living, they're dumb as soup. You ever known anybody like that? Am I the only one who's ever known anybody like that? Okay, don't point at each other. That's not a good idea, especially if it's your spouse. I had a friend back in college who was intelligent beyond intelligent, but when he had to put a screw back into the wall, instead of grabbing a flathead screwdriver, he grabbed a wood chisel. Flathead screwdriver was right there beside it. He just didn't have the practicality. But we don't need to, when we're reading the book of Psalms, you don't need to separate knowledge and wisdom. They go hand in hand. Knowledge tends to focus on correct understanding of the world and oneself as creatures as we relate to a magnificent loving God. That is the knowledge aspect. How do you relate yourself to God? How do you see yourself with Him? I loved that song we just sang, Just As I Am. That chorus, if you, if, uh, if you go back and you read the words of that course, that is just an honest, honest appeal to God. You have nothing to offer. You can't heal yourself, so you ask God to do it. You can't pardon yourself, so you ask God to do it. You don't, you can't uh, uh, redeem yourself, so you ask God to do it. There is a, uh, an actual understanding, a knowledge. When you know who God is, when you know who you are in his life, that in your life, that is your base, base knowledge. But wisdom is the acquired skill of applying that knowledge. You're applying it rightly. In other words, there's an idea of having a skill in the art of godly living. You just don't know the facts about God, but the knowledge and the wisdom in Proverbs is the idea of you taking that knowledge that you have acquired, you taking that knowledge that has built up in you, and you apply it correctly to your life. It does you no good to have the facts in your heart if you're not going to live your life by them. You want to learn wisdom and discipline in your life and be able to understand the wisdom that comes from others? Read and live out the Proverbs. The Proverbs are given, or the goal of the Proverbs is also for receiving instruction. This is more of a moral understanding. This is a moral wisdom. It says in verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. It's the way you live your life among people. Sometimes... It's your close family when you need wisdom. 
the way you live your life among them. Sometimes it's you at work. Sometimes it's among the people that you rub shoulders with and elbows with as you walk around the square. Sometimes it's, but it's how you live your life. You build up this knowledge inside of you of who God is and your, your place with him so that when it comes to living a life that is righteous, living a life that is, is uh, full of justice and equity and living a righteous life, you're willing to do that and able to do that because you have the knowledge. You want to live a disciplined life that is demonstrated by doing what is right, just, and fair? Read and live out the Proverbs. This, another goal is to give prudence. Verse 4 says to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. To give prudence to the simple Knowledge and discretion to the youth. The idea of prudence here is to have discretion in practical everyday affairs. It's so that you won't be fooled. It's, you, you're not going to remain simple. And simple isn't meant to be a degrading statement. It's meant to, before we come to this knowledge of God, before we start getting this in our lives and we recognize who he is in our life, there is an absolute simplicity to our life. We are naive. We are foolish. We don't get it. It's, one, it's so that you won't live your life that way. You won't be naive. You will be able to, to live a life in practical ways without being fooled. We all need insight. We all need discernment. We all can learn by reading and living out the Proverbs. Even if we're already wise, there is room to be wiser still. All of us need to read and learn the Proverbs. So that's the goal of the Proverbs. But what about the audience? Who is the writer of Proverbs speaking to? If you read verse 4, here's what it says. It says, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Verse 6 says, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. As we just mentioned, verse 4, the audience is the simple. It's the naive. It's the ignorant. Now, the proper use of the word ignorant, okay? We're not, we're not calling someone ignorant referring to them having a lack of ability when it comes to mental comprehension, right? There's other words for that, Josh. We're not going to use, use those words. But we're talking about those who are truly ignorant. They have not yet learned it. You cannot live the principles of God if you have not yet learned the principles of God. You have to be taught. You have to learn them. But it's also the already experienced. Let the wise hear, it says in verse 5. Notice the idea is that those who are wise already, they can still continue to learn. Those who I have come in contact with in my academic career have the best people to influence me have been those who have understood the more they have learned, the more they have to learn. I have come to understand in my own walk with God as I Peel back the layers of learning who God is. My trajectory is more like a funnel cloud than it is like a pyramid. It's as, as I come back to this doctrine of God, I've now moved higher up the funnel cloud, if you will. It's a spiral on the way up. As I learn this aspect of God, I learn and I move on. And then I come back to this again, and now I'm a little higher up on the funnel. And so I'm going to learn a little more and a little deeper. We all need to be willing to go deeper in our relationship with God. There is never a point where we have, we've arrived. There's never a point where we are wise enough. 
The readers of the book of Proverbs are invited to come along on this journey. They are invited to come along and grow in their knowledge and their wisdom. The authors will share for the sake of the reader's growth in their knowledge. They want them to have proper understanding. They want them to know themselves as well as to know God. An improper view of ourself leads to an improper view of God and vice versa. We need proper understanding. It goes hand in hand with teaching and increasing our knowledge for proper application in our lives and everyday situations. We all need wisdom. We all need this knowledge. We had the goal of the Proverbs, we have the audience of the Proverbs, but we also have the motto of the Proverbs, and that's where we're going to hang out for a little while. What is the motto? What is the final overall overarching purpose of the book of Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 reads this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fear of the Lord. What is this fear? It's a reverence. It's not a trembling, scared to death of something fear. It is a reverence that is a feeling that is so profound, a feeling of respect that it goes so far it leaves you feeling in awe of that individual. In the context of our Scripture, it is the fear of Yahweh. It is a respect and awe of our deity, of our God. I've known men that I have respected to the point of having this sort of fear, but not to the level that I fear God. You say, are we supposed to fear God? I believe we live in a culture that has taught us that God is a genie in a bottle, that He is there to meet our every whim. He is there to handle anything. As we've come through this season, we have a somewhat of a Santa Claus view of who God is. And anytime things don't go right in our life, we blame God. And the truth is, that is a misunderstanding of who He is. There should be a fear of Him. There should be an understanding and awesomeness of Him. I have known, like I said, men in my life that, that they might have been quiet men. They may have been non-assuming men. But you just had that feeling inside of you that you should not cross them. You ever known people like that? My dad's one of those. In his younger years, he was quiet, unassuming he, had, he, was, he was country strong, moving freight all his life as a, as a worker, as a truck driver. But something about his tone when he made a point, you didn't want to cross him. I didn't. Because of my relationship with my father, I believe that gives me a leg up in having a proper relationship with my God. Not everyone has that experience. I love my dad. Growing up, my love of him and that tight relationship he and I have had led me to want to do what he's asked me to do, right? That love of dad leaves me to be obedient to him. But my fear of dad 
led me to not want to disobey him. Do you see the difference? Look, in, look at the benefit of following the ways of God. Look at the benefit. This is equivalent to saying you fear the Lord. You have this awesomeness, this responsible, this, this way of looking at God in a way. Look at Psalm chapter 34, beginning in verse 11. He says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Then he starts describing it. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? He says in verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil. Okay, now I want to stop there for just a second. Turn away from evil. How does that apply to us today? The actual definition of evil is morally bad or wrong. Morally bad or wrong. In our everyday life here in the church, we may refer to that as sin. You say, well, Kenan, I'm not an evil person. Scripture would beg to differ because anything that we do that is contrary to the will of God would define us as evil. So when we read these things, we have to be careful that we're not putting someone else in the Scripture. We have to see ourselves there. We have to see that we ourselves have a tendency and our natural desires lead us to being people who are evil, even if we don't like that word. We think of people like Adolf Hitler as evil, and he was. We think of people who, who have come across and have been mass murderers as evil, and they are. But evil action defines us as being people who are evil. Evil action is anything that is against the will of God. So therefore, the gossip is evil. The glutton, as Wason and I have been over the last two weeks, is evil. I got, sorry about your toes there, brother. I've got that going with myself. Those who lie, those who push their own agendas, go back and read the Sermon on the Mount and study that again as we did last year and look at the different ways that it goes into the center of our heart. That is what makes us evil. And he says, if you're going to be someone who fears the Lord, you're going to turn away from that. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and the ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You don't want God's face turned towards you. God turns his face and gives you the, if you're doing evil and if you're doing sin, if you have behaviors in your life, if you have attitudes in your life that causes God's face to turn towards you to deal with that, then that is a very bad place to be. However, if you're a believer, it's discipline for you, and it is an opportunity for you to be corrected and to move back away from what He is calling you to move away from. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You see, we have seen the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. We have seen here in chapter 34 of, of Psalms that the fear of the Lord is demonstrated by striving to live a righteous life. 
The fear of the Lord is defined this way in Proverbs as well. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil are perverted speech. I hate, God says. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Friends, we have lived and grown up into a culture of Christianity that leads us to believe that we can get as close and we can dabble in evil things enough and eventually we'll be okay because we'll turn away and, we'll, and God loves us and everything's good because God is love. We dabble. We dabble. We dabble. And the next thing you know, we are hooked in that sin. Scripture doesn't say to to walk away from it. It doesn't say to simply despise it. It doesn't say to to have a lack of, of love for that event, for that behavior, for that attitude. It says to hate evil. And we have grown into be a people, we being the Christian church here in the 21st century, we have grown into being a people that we don't hate evil. We accept it. And we tolerate it. Now, before someone takes this out of context and says, Kenan hates evil people, that's not what I'm saying. You need to catch this. I'm talking about you in your personal walk with God. We are to hate evil, not the evil doer. You know, if we spend enough time taking care of ourselves and watching to make sure that we don't have the log in our eye, as Jesus called it, we don't have time to be judging other people. We have enough of our own to deal with. So we have to hate evil. That's a descriptor of someone who is fearing the Lord, who who recognizes him for who he is. He's not the genie in the bottle. He is the almighty God, creator of this universe, and he is in charge of everything in our lives, everything in our lives, and we are willing to live our life the way he would have us live our life. What about those who don't fear the Lord, those who don't revere and respect him and his ways? You see, true respect is demonstrated by the fact that you do what that person you're respecting has asked. Proverbs chapter 1 again, we begin back in verse 20. It says, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom is referred to as a she all the way through. There are descriptions in different areas of Proverbs that talk about the, the words of wisdom versus the words of the world. So that sometimes it was the words of wisdom as the words of a prost- versus the words of a prostitute. It's words of godly versus the words of the ungodly. Wisdom is, is the personification here of hearing a word from God. So when he says, wisdom cries aloud in the street in the markets, she raises her voice It's as if God himself is speaking. So look what he says. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. And here's what she says. Here's the word of the Lord for you out of the book of Proverbs. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you uneducated, the truly ignorant, how long were you who have not yet been taught and learned the ways of God, how long are you going to be willing to remain unlearned? Wow. 
That's what it's saying. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called you, be called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity and will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer, for they will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices." Jesus, or Paul said it this way, you reap what you sow. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Again, fools defined as those who are unwilling to receive the knowledge of God. Now, let's, let's make sure we have a right picture, all right? Followers of Jesus versus those who completely reject God. These are talking about those who completely reject God. You want to go your own way, you don't want to follow the ways of God, then you get what you asked for, right? But even in our lives as followers of Jesus, there is a principle here. There is a principle that God has a plan, that He knows the right way for us to live our lives, and when we refuse to hear it, we are going to have calamity in our lives. We cannot think that just because we're a follower of Jesus Christ that we can live our life however we want to live our life, showing no fear of the Lord and expect Him to bless us in that life. Does that make sense? So there, is princi- there are principles here that even the believer needs to hear. For me, this is where revering God can truly be considered the fear of the Lord. When you understand his power, when you understand his might, when you get that he is completely awesome, why would you go against him? If he is all-knowing, and he is, if he is everywhere all the time, and he is, if he is all-powerful, and he is, if his principles never change, and they don't, then why would we not being wise, follow after his knowledge and wisdom, rather than trying to do life our own way. You see, there's a principle here of of using some economic terms, perhaps, of the macro versus the micro. We tend to, in in our culture, we tend to, in our Christian faith, see a macro version of God in control. Yes, God is sovereign over the world. Yes, God is ruling over the world. Yes, God is global. God is the only God. He is the one who has has thrown out the stars. He is the one who created the mountains. He is the one who's done all of these things in creation. We have this macro view of who God is. But friends, can I suggest that we need to have a micro view of who God is in our life. Remember, that's where the knowledge starts. 
It's not only a picture of who God truly is, it's also a picture of who we are in relation to who he is. And if we put God in the microcosm, if we put God in the small details of our lives, the big things will tend to take care of themselves. Where we sit on a Sunday morning, where we sit in our homes here in Athens, sometimes it gets to be a little overwhelming and a too abstract of a view to say God is going to change the world and he's going to use us to do it. The world's an awfully big place. And many of us, truth be told, don't have influence that goes beyond maybe the four walls of our home or even outside the borders of Limestone County. How can we possibly be someone who changes the world? That is a macro view of God. God will change your home as he changes you. How about that sphere of influence that is inside those four walls? How about that sphere of influence that is inside your workplace? How about that sphere of influence that is inside the people you rub shoulders with, as we mentioned earlier? God wants to transform you so that you can be an influence to help transform them. It's micro. And I promise you this, because I believe Scripture bears it out. That if we as a church will get a hold of what it means to put God in the details of our lives, our families will change, our church will change, our city will change. We have 500 or so people here this morning. What if this influential people lived with God in the details of their life? Notice the difference, though, between those who listen to the wisdom of the Proverbs, those who fear the Lord. In verse 33 of chapter 1, whoever listens to me will dwell secure, will be at ease without dread or disaster. Again, in chapter 3, verses 24 through 26, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. When was the last time you had sweet sleep? And not because you have a sleeping disorder like some folks do. I mean, because your mind is at ease, because your heart is at rest. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Verse four, or chapter 14, verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. I don't personally get caught up in the signs of the times. Are they there? Sure. But I'm supposed to be focusing on my life where God has me here. I can't worry about what is happening on the other side of the world. Please, please hear my heart, okay? I, I, can, I can already feel the bristling on the pe- back of people's necks. Let me explain what I mean by that. 
though it concerns me that they may or may not know Jesus, though it concerns me that there may be tragedy and there may be calamity and there may be those things happening over there, I'm supposed to be active for God where I am. John Crocker and I talk all the time about all the people moving into Limestone County. We are moving into the year of 2024. It's a fresh start. We are talking about all the people who are coming here into this town, that we are poised, we are ready, we have updated and, and, and renovated, and we are looking and we're ready, but we have moved well beyond the time, friends, of the come and see model of church. They're not just going to show up. We have a few folks moving into town who come from a church background, and because they come from a church background, they are looking for a church. So we have a few come in like that. But out of the thousands moving into town, we haven't seen that kind of exponential growth. Why? Because they're no longer coming to see. They need you to open your mouth and speak a word for God. 